0: Do 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 to do Wah one, do but do but do Wah one. Gonna talk about Star Trek, gonna talk about it, gonna talk about Star Trek in a bit. Star Trek, Star Trek. Star Trek.
1: stupid, stupid, stupid,
0: so, what you did there, I see it.
1: Our mission, to explore new ideas, to seek out new thoughts and new opinions, to boldly opine where no millennials have opined before. This is the Next Next Generation podcast. Beg it so. Welcome back to the Next next generation podcast i'm katherine
0: and i'm charles
1: today we're talking about season one episode 18 home soil
0: i really liked this episode mm-hmm. i thought it was a really good star trek entry as i'm wont to say <laughs> and i had a lot of fun with this one for a number of reasons which we will get into
1: yeah this was such a relief after the last two episodes
0: i agree I was a little bit worried that we were going to be on a long string of not great episodes, and it was nice to get a really good one once again.
1: This was more picking up where they left off with episode 15, and we'll just pretend 16 and 17 didn't happen.
0: <laughs> what are you talking about? 16 and 17? No, 16 and 17? Are I didn't some?
1: say 16 and 17. You must have misheard me. Oh, okay. Stop putting words in my mouth.
0: <laughs> Sorry, ma'am. Didn't mean it to ma'am.
1: No. No. In the beginning of this episode, they're mapping the Pleiades Cluster when they are called upon to visit the Terraformers on Velara 3. The Federation is worried about these Terraformers. They've stopped having contact with them, and they're acting weird, and they're very isolated from everyone else, and they're working on this completely lifeless planet, as they think, So the Enterprise is kind of nearby, so they just scoot in to check on these terraformers.
0: One of the reasons why I thought this episode was really great was something that I once saw J.J. Abrams talk about. He was talking about plotting, and this episode had a great plot. And one of the things that Abrams likes to think about, sort of a thought experiment, is he imagines that the plot is sort of like a box with a question mark on it. If you've ever seen those nesting dolls where you pull out one doll and there's a smaller doll inside, the same way you open the box and there inside is a smaller question box and a smaller one and so on and so forth. This episode was great because it started with, first of all, there's terraformers in Star Trek? How cool is that? You're interested and you're intrigued by that idea and you're asking questions about it. Then they meet these terraformers in a moment here. The leader's acting suspicious, another question, and then so on and so forth. So each... Part of this plot proceeds very naturally out of the audience wanting to keep up and ask questions along the way.
1: This episode is perfectly plotted. Like you said, it flows naturally one thing to the next, but it keeps you guessing, keeps you interested. You're along for the ride with the crew unraveling some mystery.
0: When we don't know more than the crew, I really like that. I think it's stronger for it. The plot works better, especially in mysteries like this.
1: Mm -hmm. This is extra fun because we think that maybe one of those terraformers is the eventual murderer, right? Right. And then we find out they don't know what's going on either. Yeah. So we think someone knows more than us even, and they don't.
0: It's nice to see it unfold and not know more than the characters do.
1: So you mentioned the director, Mandel. I did. He's acting really weird. Some great use of Troy in this scene. Picard is talking to Mandel on their FaceTime. Oops, (laughs) I just dated our podcast. As it goes, Picard says something. Director Mandel says something. Then Troy offers some interpretation of what he's really feeling that's not really matching what he's saying and acting like. And that's a perfect example of what she's really useful for and why she's on the bridge. I talked about in the very first episode, they're encountering people they can't really understand, and she provides an extra layer of understanding for their diplomatic outreaching.
0: Troy is a vital role for Picard. Mm -hmm. She provides him information that he wouldn't necessarily have if she wasn't there. Right. And her ability to understand empathically whoever they're conferencing with is very powerful, and it really gives him an edge. He even acts on her information Mm -hmm. in a way he might not have by really pressing Mandel to allow them to board the terraforming station.
1: He takes it all the way and makes Mandel say that he would directly forbid them from coming, which he might not have known to do if Troy hadn't been there. It doesn't just give him an edge. He actually would have had no idea what was going on with the terraforming station. They knew nothing from what he was saying. It was all Troy's abilities.
0: Is this the first time we've seen her use her abilities to this capacity?
1: It's the first time we've seen it be this prolonged, where instead of just one flash of insight, she's interpreting, truly interpreting, throughout an entire encounter, and then they keep using her throughout the episode. Actually, that's another thing I wanted to say about this episode. All the characters get to show off their strengths, all their unique strengths, and how that works together perfectly as a team. I think this is the best episode we've seen so far that did that.
0: Highlights their strengths.
1: Highlights all of them. We know them all now. Just a few sentences or one action. Like, oh, look, there's Data doing his thing. There's Beverly doing her thing. They're all working together in harmony.
0: There's Yar doing her thing, even.
1: Yeah, she's brave in this episode. Has some good moments. They're acting as one organism. Just like this alien species on the planet. I just want to make one more note on this cold open scene. When they're trying to get Mandel to talk to them, they're suggesting a few different things. And Riker suggests the holodeck for some R&R for the terraformers. <laughs> I thought that was so funny.
0: There's Riker plugging away.
1: He's like, uh, but have you considered the holodeck? The holodeck. <laughs> it's a fun holodeck <laughs> it <visited> now <laughs> on the holodeck. <laughs> one more thing (laughs) they do establish in this conversation that starfleet has an entire terraform command this is something they do whoa it's not some weird technology and they said okay here's a planet go play and try this out no they really do this for real
0: i was really surprised that they have a terraforming division of starfleet space is large difficult even to comprehend the size of it of course and there are many many planets For example, I'm going to use our favorite episode of all, Encounter at Farpoint.
1: Oh, yay, our favorite.
0: There is lots of room on that planet, and it's a class M planet. In fact, in Star Trek, there's lots and lots of class M planets. Maybe they're not all perfect for life or exactly Earth-like, but it is possible to establish colonies on a lot of these worlds.
1: Can I just say before we go on? Yes. This planet is not even a class M planet yet. That's what they're doing to it.
0: I wonder why they don't just make it work with one of those planets or with one of the other species. I know they have their prime directive and don't want to interfere, Mm -hmm. per se. But once they're part of the Federation, isn't it kind of fair game to try to, like, neighbor up a little bit?
1: Maybe they don't want to try to send a bunch of new people to these established civilizations. Maybe it would just be, like, one person here, one person there. Kind of like a country on Earth. All right. You get some immigration, but for the most part, people pretty much stay put. Also, maybe the planet that Farpoint was on was terraformed. Well, no. I was going to say because so much of it's dead, but then they did have that old city. I don't know. With as serious as they supposedly are about the Prime Directive, again, we haven't seen much evidence of that seriousness, the situation they had in this episode where there was life on the planet, but it wasn't organic. That could happen a lot, and they might never figure it out if the life forms in question weren't intelligent enough. Okay. If they were just some bugs or something, (laughs) that couldn't do anything to the terraformers. They might never find out that they killed an entire species.
0: I guess that's just a risk they're willing to take. A little bit larger scale here, terraforming takes a long time. As a way of progenesis for humanity, I'm not sure it's the most effective method at this time.
1: Even within Starfleet and the Federation, it's basically human, but they have other aliens that are part of the Federation. Right. A lot of them. But it seems like the idea of terraforming specifically serves humanity. How do those other races slash cultures feel about the Federation being so serving of humanity? Why make more Earths? What's so important about humanity and Earth?
0: Keep the species alive?
1: I'm not saying that's not a natural impulse. That's not the supposed point of the Federation, which is why so many planets are eager to join. Because it's for everyone, in theory.
0: What we've observed of the Federation is that it's very humanitarian.
1: I think it's questionable that they terraform.
0: It also seemed like they weren't very good at it yet. They hadn't got it all down quite yet.
1: Well, that kind of goes back to what I was saying about sort of still experimental, Mm -hmm. but it did seem implied that they have done this. Starfleet has the whole terraform command, and then these people are working for like a private contractor that does this for profit that Starfleet hired. That implies quite a bit of industry and experience around terraforming. And it's such a long scale thing that they must have been doing this for a while.
0: But how long could they have been doing this given the timescales?
1: Perhaps it is a little bit deeper than we're saying and comes back to their arrogance again. (laughs) Mm. that They just assume they're successful, but they really haven't done this. They don't know that they'll be able to do it.
0: Well, you can't know something unless you try.
1: It seemed like a pretty complicated, serious, large-scale operation also to be emanating from that tiny space station. (laughs)
0: beautiful painting beautiful prop work as well
1: they send an away team picard takes a lack of forbidding to be an invitation he does (laughs) if he's not going to be denied then he's going to do it he doesn't care if he ruffles people's feelings he sends a big away team pretty much everyone Riker, troy jordy yar and data wow First officer, second officer, security officer. Counselor. Counselor. Geordie's the third officer. Yep. Yeah.
0: All the officers.
1: Everyone. It's all down to Picard now. He can just take over the ship and fly away.
0: (laughs) He wouldn't do that. No, Now. now. He
1: could if he wanted.
0: That's true. He has a lot of power.
1: They're met by another potentially nice lady, (laughs) just like the last episode.
0: Another beautiful woman.
1: Her name is Louisa Kim. It turns out she actually is nice. She's the only one who has no idea what's going on on this planet. And Troy says she's as open as she appears. Again, they take Troy with them and use her for good. That was nice. Yeah. They call Kim a gardener, which I thought was really a funny way of saying she's going to be the landscape architect for an entire planet. They make it sound so unimportant.
0: It's pedestrian to call it gardening when it's such an epic large-scale thing.
1: Maybe that's kind of a nickname for the position. But she did seem to be not taken as seriously as the others. Although, yeah, that makes sense because Troy mentioned later that she was more big picture what they're doing with the planet and not about numbers and facts.
0: Begs the question why she's there at all.
1: Yeah, actually, it seems a little early for her, like she might not have anything to do yet. For years. Yeah, for years. Because she's the one who shows them around, too, while the others are busy. I didn't know what she was doing at this point.
0: I think she was in charge, like you were saying, of all of the ecosystems.
1: But they're just not there yet.
0: Yeah, they're still working on siphoning off all the saline water and trying to purify it. They haven't even gotten anywhere close to being able to start germinating things.
1: But that's okay. They needed more characters, and they all needed to have a terraforming appropriate role. I really liked the expositional scene where she was explaining how they terraform. That was cool. Yeah, it's obvious because we need to know as an audience. But it really felt natural to explain it to them.
0: Once again, we're learning with the crew. It was great that it wasn't just some throwaway aside line from, say, one of the terraformers to the other, which obviously they would already know. It was from a group who did know to a group who doesn't. And we're along with the group who doesn't. And that was great.
1: To be fair, It did seem like the Enterprise crew would have known everything she said. It was a pretty simple explanation.
0: Maybe too simple.
1: But that was all right. It felt good, and I liked seeing a more serious woman who was shown as being really competent in her job. Riker was making some eyes at her, but she was still just doing her thing, sounding excited about her work, and explaining it to them really well. They could have had her be the sexy gardener with nothing to do waiting for someone like him to show up, you know, in all the space stations of all the world. But no, she's super invested in the project. I liked that.
0: Riker's already too much of a playboy as it is.
1: You know, they didn't do that last episode either with Rochella.
0: That was nice too. And
1: she was very beautiful. They focused more in the last episode on Rochella's, like, blossoming sense of motherhood with Alexandra. And this episode, this woman is all about her work. Neither of them have time for Riker. Louisa introduces them to the other three terraformers. Yes. And does her spiel. So they do mention at this time that the Federation will only allow them to proceed if there's no life on the planet, which you said that's important. (laughs) I did say that. Yeah. They're in phase two, 35-year timeline. Arthur Malancon is their hydraulics guy. He's having issues. We have some kind of furtive moment between Benson and Malencon, where Malencon had some idea about what was wrong. So Malencon goes off to the hydraulics room.
0: Well, he's sent off by Mandel. The director comes in and all in a huff, still fuming from his conversation (laughs) with Picard. Yep. And then he swiftly orders Malencon to go check the hydraulic chamber. Malencon's like, what, right now?
1: There's stuff afoot.
0: The game is afoot.
1: <laughs> On Valera 3. <laughs> yeah, so he dies in there.
0: He's a goner. He screams. There's laser blasts, It's exciting. The drama, the music kicks up. It's awesome.
1: That's when we have a good Yar moment. Mm. As soon as they can get the door open, she bravely rushes in first to get him beamed up to sickbay. Riker and Troy take Mandel and Louisa Kim back to the Enterprise too. And then Data and Geordi stay with Benson, the engineer, to investigate. Data immediately gets shut in the room and the laser tries to kill him too. Because he is an android. He's able to dodge and he forcibly dismembers the laser.
0: And they come back in and the poor engineer is distraught. A year of work lost.
1: (laughs) It's really funny because I'm pretty sure he would have rather had Data be destroyed than the drill. Seemed like it. Yeah. He was like, why would you do that? Like, I'm dying in here, dude. I did what I had to do. Hello. Come on, Benson. You were just so impressed by my construction a few minutes ago. Now you want me to be destroyed? Get with the program. (laughs) Yeah, the program. So Data says there's no way it was pre-programmed to do that. It had a mind of its own. That makes them think that someone is controlling the drill in real time rather than it being an actual malfunction. They never anticipate what actually happens. So at this point, we have a transition into a murder mystery. Closed room drama. All the players were there. Who do we rule out?
0: Listen here, see?
1: (laughs) Actually, as the episode goes on, they don't make a lot of headway in figuring out who it could and could not be. Not at all. I think they pretty much decide it could be Mandel or Benson. Basically, yeah. They rule out Kim because she's so honest and open. They only go for the murder thing so long before they start to realize they've brought new life aboard the ship. That's an example of the way this plot seamlessly transitions from one thing to the next. A nice tonal shift.
0: Because it's mixing between them, it never fully embraces any cliches. It just flows beautifully and naturally on, and I think that's driven by the questions that are arising from the actions on the screen.
1: They elegantly handle the plot-slash-genre shifts. We start with the basic sci-fi premise, terraforming, a little bit of mystery, but mostly sci-fi. Transition to the thriller murder plot, and then to the discovery of new life. They do say, why was Khan killed? Not by who? Because Picard, I think it's Picard, says, well, we know it was one of them, so they're all here on the Enterprise. Maybe that's why their investigation isn't too urgent
0: have everyone apprehended. Can't go anywhere. Way out there in the Pleiades.
1: Data and Geordi, after Data explains what happened to Picard, go back to the planet to investigate on their own without some of the terraformers interfering. This was the first moment in the show where I really noticed, like, this is so cool, they're all playing to their strengths. Data looks down the hydraulics tube thing that they've carved out, And, I mean, he's very capable, obviously. But he says, oh, Jordy, I need some help. Come look at this. And then Jordy can see different things than Data can because of his visor.
0: I liked that they showed them, like you mentioned, uh, playing to their strengths. I liked that they showed that Data isn't a superhuman in all respects. Mm -hmm. While he is an android, he's not able to do everything, and he does need his friend, Jordy to make up for some of what he lacks. And that was nice to see their budding friendship pushed forward in this episode, collaborating and working together.
1: Jordy describes the Flashes as musical. They think it might be something alive, but he says, you know, it's inorganic material. I found it really interesting that they had definitively defined life as always being organic material.
0: That is interesting.
1: Yeah, I'm not sure why they thought nowhere in the universe could life arise without carbon.
0: Could be they hadn't encountered any non-carbon-based life forms up to this point.
1: I'm sure they haven't, but it was weird that they so conclusively ruled that out.
0: Again, a product of its time when it was written by the writers.
1: Well, the reason carbon works so well for life is because it has so many open slots, you know, for bonding with other uh, molecules. Okay. Actually, the life form ended up being silicon, right? It did. Yeah. Silicon is in the same column as carbon on the periodic table. Okay. And it has just as many bonding opportunities. So it is a candidate for potentially non-carbon-based life. That's already something we know. That's cool. Maybe they were just playing on that and expecting the audience to not...
0: Know that? Not
1: buy it as quickly, maybe, and have to be walked along. Hmm. I just thought it was weird that that was one of their rules...
0: You mean Starfleet still having that old definition of it has to be organic or it's out?
1: Yeah, they could have easily just said, oh my gosh, it's happening. <laughs> we finally found a silicon-based life form. Woohoo. We knew there must have been some out there because it works perfectly well as a building block for life. Gotcha. To their credit, they were very open-minded about it maybe being life.
0: They being the Enterprise crew, not the scientists, not the terraformers.
1: Beverly and the Enterprise crew were willing to consider it was life, but they were fighting against something very established within Federation science.
0: Which is that life can only be organic as a qualifier to be life.
1: Yes. Then we get to see Beverly, the researcher, in action.
0: Dun-dun!
1: She's like, well, this looks like life. So she runs a bunch of tests. They show its crystalline structure.
0: Microscopic scale enhanced. How cool was the computer being able to zoom in like that? That was pretty neat.
1: It looked really good. I liked seeing her tracking down her hunch. She had this really determined, urgent way she played it. Yeah. I liked it. Another one showing off their strengths.
0: It looks like life. It sure smells like life. I think mm. it's life.
1: <laughs> they conclude it's life. Again, the Enterprise crew at least are pretty open-minded. Right. Even if the Federation has a few too many qualifications and rules.
0: They have too many rules, yeah. Yeah. (laughs) In general, yes. And in this situation as well.
1: I realize they have a lot of rules because they're dealing with a lot of scenarios. So they need to have a rule for everything.
0: That's one approach.
1: Well, as a military organization, that makes sense. They keep saying there's no pattern in the flashing. They say that a bunch of times. In the end, though, the problem is that humans can't understand the pattern.
0: Computer couldn't understand the pattern at first either.
1: Exactly. The human-built computer didn't see a pattern either.
0: So Jordy, like you mentioned earlier, remarked that the flashes were musical, and he even described it as rhythmic.
1: He did, and then said, there's no pattern.
0: How can it be rhythmic with no pattern?
1: I don't know. It was kind of like one part of him saw a pattern, and another part said, that's not a pattern I recognize.
0: Like it was constantly changing and fluctuating, and yeah. it was arhythmic?
1: That would make sense, though, as speech. Because there is a pattern to speech, but there's so many words and combinations that if you just listen to some noise that happened to be speech, you wouldn't immediately figure anything out from it.
0: Fair point. Yeah. It was confusing, though. I think we could very clearly see they were speaking in unison and very rhythmically later on Mm -hmm. when they were all clustered together and there's multiple of whatever the species is called.
1: So Picard does say Mandel is obsessed. And seems to think that makes him a good murder suspect. (laughs) Troy says Mandel did know about the life form, but that he seems shocked by the idea of murder. Again, they're actually using Troy through the episode.
0: We're actually seeing her integrate and be part of the team more, and that's awesome.
1: Riker goes to comfort Louisa Kim.
0: Comfort, mm mm-hmm.
1: He ends up being a gentleman about it. He does. She's very upset because what she thought was going to be her life's work is now at an end because they discovered life. But yeah, surprisingly, he's cool about it and offers to let her see the life form when she's ready and then leaves her alone.
0: I'm glad that Riker didn't use the situation to his advantage. She was very distraught and upset.
1: I thought it was going to be a seduction. But it was actually just to establish that she was innocent. She didn't know anything about the life form. So would have no reason to murder Malancon And that she just truly does care deeply about her life's work of terraforming. Beverly tries to quarantine the being.
0: That doesn't go well.
1: No, it takes over the lab. It seems like it's trying to talk to them, but they run away. Then it starts reproducing. Eventually, it really just takes over their entire computer system. It does successfully translate and says it's at war with humans. Or, as they put it, ugly giant bags of mostly water. Before that happens, though, Picard gathers all the terraformers to have it out with them. That's when we find out for sure that Mandel and Benson did know about the life, but they didn't think it was quite this intelligent. But this is when we're starting to realize that the show is pivoting away from the murder plot. We're finding out the life form is intelligent and acts like a computer, and it just murdered Malencon itself. The humans were killing it.
0: Killing it by removing its conductor through the saline water that it uses to communicate between its neurons. They decided that they were going to take out the operator, Malencon, who was in charge of siphoning.
1: Right. He was directly killing them, so they killed him back
0: and declared war on the ugly bags of mostly water.
1: <laughs> so, this leads to our data of the day.
0: Ugly. Ugly. Giant. Bags. Of mostly water.
1: Bags of mostly water,
0: says Picard. An accurate description of humans, sir. You are over 90% water, surrounded by a flexible container.
1: The being says they tried to communicate, but of course, even if... Mandel and Benson had been willing to listen to them after the Federation assuring them so strongly that there was no life on Valera Three. They could never have understood the pattern. They are only able to talk to this being because it forcibly takes over the Enterprise computer and makes the translation work.
0: It's so different from the humans. It doesn't have the ability to really communicate with them, and they just ignore it, or the signs that we find out are there. Geometric designs in the sand that they discovered.
1: They just say that they tried to be peaceful and communicate with the bags of water, but the bags wouldn't listen, so they had to kill them. What can you do? Yeah, it makes sense. Picard tries a few things to get rid of them, beam them back, that sort of thing. That doesn't work at all. Not at all. They eventually realize the brain is photoelectric, and it developed at the perfect depth to have just enough light Mixed with that water, that it could evolve. So they kill the lab lights and immediately force it to talk to them. The Enterprise crew says, You should trust us, etc. The being says, No, why would we trust you? Come back again when you're more advanced. We get that a lot from some of these other more weird beings. The humans aren't really ready to interact with them yet.
0: It's their own hubris, thinking that they're these intrepid explorers forging ahead and They're so important, and really they're just a small speck in this vast galaxy. Galaxies.
1: It allows them to beam it back, though. That's good, (laughs) because they really need to get it off the ship. Yeah, it was going to kill them (laughs) all. It could very easily
0: do so if they didn't do something quickly. And again, Picard being a great diplomat, Mm -hmm. able to convince it to stand down the war, coming up with the photoelectric plan, dimming the lights. And Mm -hmm. Once they can get some communication going, they're able to get it off the ship, which really saves the day.
1: Even if it didn't purposely try to kill them, which they said actually it could have killed them by that point. Its next reproductive phase would have been too strong of an energy blast and it would have destroyed the ship. In the end, there really wasn't a murderer. It was like a self-defense slash act of war scenario instead. It was just misunderstanding and miscommunication between two species that just weren't ready to talk to each other yet
0: common theme throughout star trek
1: what did you think of the way they portrayed the being physically
0: with the flashing lights yeah i thought it was fine
1: i actually thought it was fine too part of me was like oh boy if someone just wandered into the room and saw this they might think it looks stupid but i actually thought it was okay they were being realistic about their limitations for what they could show of something so weird and it was a little bit like little led lights. Which kind of made sense.
0: I thought they were fine. I thought they were cool looking. Mm-hmm. They're microscopic. So the fact that you'd see the light they were emitting, maybe that's not realistic.
1: That's how much energy it was. Oh. It wasn't to scale. Its next reproduction, it was going to be so much energy. Remember? It was going to blow the ship apart.
0: Now I understand. Yeah. That's impressive.
1: It happened to be visible light that the energy was taking the form of. But... It was not proportional to the size.
0: I really liked this episode. I thought it was really well plotted. Each part of the plot led organically to the next, or inorganic in this case. It was great to see the team show their strengths and get a more fuller understanding of Geordie and Data working together. Nice to see Picard taking action and with the advice of Troy, muscling his way onto the terraforming station with his crew. I had a really fun time with this episode overall, had me engaged the entire time. And so I'm going to give this episode an 8 out of 10 laser beams.
1: I agree with everything you said. This was a really fun episode, really well plotted. One of the things that faltered a little bit was the actual terraformers became more of an accessory to the plot. In the last few episodes, they focused too much on these incidental people and in this maybe they let them slip by a little too much especially the woman as much as i liked her she didn't have a real plot serving purpose the introduction of the idea that they terraform as a matter of course not just some crazy scientist off on a far distant planet doing something was really interesting They didn't really say much about it. They just kind of presented it and let it go, which is kind of fun for us then to just speculate. But actually, I would have liked to know a little bit more about that and where that fits in with their morals and their prime directive. This was a super fun episode, though, overall. I would give this episode 8.5 out of 10 enthusiastic gardeners. This has been Season 1, Episode 18 Home Soil.
0: Thank you so much for listening. This is the Next Next Generation podcast. Follow us on Twitter. Add us at The Next Next Gen. We don't do any paid promotion of this podcast, and your word of mouth helps us to grow our show. Please leave us a review and a rating on iTunes and Stitcher. That really helps us out. Thanks to everyone who listens regularly, and we'll be back soon with another episode.